Welcome to Sharing the Magic, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting worlds of Disney. Each week, we're joined by a special guest. Whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment or a Disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth. Together, we'll uncover the stories, inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true. Ladies and gentlemen, gather around, prepare to embark on a wondrous journey filled with enchantment and delight. Welcome to the latest episode of Sharing the Magic, the podcast that unravels the secrets behind the curtain of the extraordinary. I am your host, your ghost host, Barry. Tonight, we have a guest who is best known as the former vice president at the Walt Disney Resort in Florida. He is the epitome of what hard work can do for you. And boy, he has done a lot. He has also had a, um, a remarkable career outside of Disney as well. We will hear his inspiring story in just a moment. But first, let's say hello to our co-host. We'll start tonight with everyone's favorite Disney dad, Matt. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great tonight, Barry. Really excited for the show. Yeah. All right. Next, we have Lindsay, the real Lady Divine. How are you doing? Hey, guys, I'm doing great. Cannot wait for tonight's show. All right. Next up, she's the mom to many Disney addicts. Lisa. Lisa, how you doing? I am great. Just getting back in town from Walt Disney World today. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. And last but not least, is everyone's favorite goofy dupe, Jeff. Jeff, how you doing? Gorsh. Oh, yeah. oh, welcome to this here podcast. Well, it's going to be a swell time, <laughs> so buckle up. Well, we're going to have some fun conversations with our good friend, Dan. <laughs> oh. Wow. <laughs> I'm all tuckered out now, so that's it, that's it for me. But no, welcome. Thank you. Welcome to be here in Norse. Well, I have, well, I hope you have a good time. So <laughs> just wonderful to have you. All right. All right. Uh, Dan, uh, like Jeff said, we are so thrilled to have you here. Why don't you go ahead and uh, let our listeners know a little bit about you and how you got into uh, loving Disney so much. Yes. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me on. Um, I was kind of joking with you guys. I was in an undisclosed location on witness protection program. <laughs> my uh, my um, my wife uh, a couple months ago or last month said, you uh you're you're a pain in the butt and you're working too much and you got to leave for a weekend and so uh, i called my buddy jody mayberry who's my podcasting partner uh, cool. he's a former park ranger i said jody would you like to go hiking i'm getting kicked out and he said i would love to he always says yes yeah. so we've been uh, hiking in uh, utah some of the utah national parks for the past few days oh. and so we are we're hitting all the uh, really cool motels as we make our way across the state. Yeah. Uh, so had a great time, but anyway, let me get back. So yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I spent my whole adult life working for the Walt Disney company, uh, went to college and studied political science, which was, I'm not sure why still it was very interesting, but I really didn't want to do anything in that field. 
Uh, and I worked for Disney in college on the Walt Disney World College program, as many former managers and executives have done. And then I went back to and then a couple of years. And when I graduated, uh, headed to um, Walt Disney World, I drove down there and said, hey, I'd like a job here. And they said, uh, okay, we got one for you. You're going to park cars at Epcot. I said, great, let's go. And, you know, a lot of my friends I graduated from school from were, what, Dan, what are you doing? I said, I'm parking cars in Florida, you know, but I I did have a master plan. So I did that for about six months and I had applied for a visa to work in Europe before I left, um, before I left school. And so uh, Disneyland Paris, Euro Disney was opening that following year. And so I went back, I said, look, I'd really like to be part of the opening team. And they said, well, you, you, um, you need a visa to work there because we've already picked the, uh, all the, the employees that are going to go over. And I said, well, look, I have a visa to work there. And so they said, okay, you can go. So I went over uh, January 1st, 1992. And that was about three months before the park opened. And I was a management trainee uh, in the parking lot, of course, because that's what I learned how to do at Walt Disney World. And so I um, showed up there. I spoke like seven words of French um, never lived abroad for an extended period. So it was a pretty stressful time trying to learn how a park opens and no days off. I mean, it is a sprint to the end, uh, painting stuff and just getting stuff to work. And, you know, you really realize what pressure is because they don't move the opening date. And uh, at the same time, I'm in the parking lot, which was kind of a blessing because no one there spoke English. So I had to figure it out. I had to learn and every day I just would just figure out what word I'd heard. Uh, and it's incredible when you are immersed, how much you start to learn um, when you have to go to the supermarket and go to the bank and figure out how to live your life in another language. So we opened the park in April 92 and I ended up spending five years over there. Uh, my girlfriend who I met in Florida, uh, she's from France and now my wife of 30 years, uh, we started dating and uh, about uh, a month before my visa expired, uh, we had a converse, very casual conversation in the kitchen, and uh, we'd moved in together. And we ended the conversation to solve the problem of me leaving with, I have an idea. If we get <laughs> married, I can stay. And she oh. said, okay. And so we had a very <laughs> short engagement. We got married very quickly yeah. and uh, stayed there for another four years. And then in 97, moved to Florida. Uh, we had Our son was born in 95 in France, and I worked at Epcot for um, about four years. And then I ended up heading to the uh, resort hotels. I, I was, my, my theme was keep learning, keep doing different stuff. Yeah. Uh, every, to every year and a half, two years, what's the next thing I can go do to learn something new. Oh, and oh. so I went to the resort hotels for six years and that's where I got promoted to be a general manager. My first executive role at the wilderness lodge and the Fort wilderness campground. Then uh, I went to the All-Star Resort, and then I went to the Magic Kingdom for about three years. I ran merchandise for a year and a half, and I ran operations for a year and a half as a general manager. And then in 2009, I got my first uh, VP role, and I went back to Epcot. Uh, so this was 09. This was like 18 years after I'd worked there the first time around, which was kind of cool. And uh, there's actually some still some of the employees in the parking lot. So I got back. They called me. They're like, hey, Dan, we heard you back. And <laughs> the managers in the parking lot were, you can't call the vice president. You know, that's <laughs> like, no, that's Dan, that's the college kid. And uh, <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years. I was at Disney's Hollywood Studios for four years. 
And then in uh, 2015, I got promoted to go be the vice president of the Magic Kingdom. And I did that for three years. And then um, uh, we have my wife and I have three kids. And the last one was heading out to college. And we decided, uh, well, she decided we needed to go do something else. Uh, You know, I had 19 jobs over 26 years at Disney. And um, I she's like, you know what, you're not you don't have the skipping the step you used to. And you just we need to go. We need to go do something else. I'm not sitting around here till you're 55 and retire. And I said, look, I'd love to go, but I can't. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm institutionalized. This is all I know how to do. And (laughs) she said, well, look, let's go try this. And then if it doesn't work out, you can always go get a job. So I'm like, well, if you're not that worried about it, I'm in. Uh, You know, my dad had left Disney and he was 63 years old and he ended up writing four books and became a speaker. And he uh, has been an incredible mentor for me um, on how to just figure out how do you do business in the outside world and and in the, I call it the real world. And so I've been doing Valor and I've been doing that for five years now. And uh, it has been an adventure. It's got different stresses. It's not like you leave and you're free. And, you know, when you're running your own business, there's a bunch of other stuff you have to do, but it has been an incredible adventure to figure out, uh, what people want to know and how to get paid for it. And so that's been a a huge learning the past five years. And, uh, we don't, we don't know what we want to be when we grow up, but we're going to keep doing this for a while until we figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you had so many different jobs, I mean, for, for me, I just think one job is just so, uh, tasking on my mind and, you know, it's just so hard to keep everything. I mean, Obviously, I know you you are working for Disney. I mean, you're working for a company that makes everybody happy, that people come from all around to to be with. But um what so what kind of stresses did you did you have to deal with when when you were uh when you were working? Yeah, a great great question. Um you know, you don't uh you you couldn't do this in the real world. I couldn't just go like run a restaurant and then leave and go run a hotel and then leave and then go run a merchandise location. Because in the real world, a lot of times you do not have the kind of support you have at Disney. I mean, Disney has the resources available and the systems in place and the processes in place uh, are incredible. And so the most important thing I found at Disney is it's not about knowing the most. It's about being able to tap in to the experts to help you. And that's, it's not a place for everyone because some people love working, you know, individually, they love working independently. And if you're wired that way, Walt Disney world is not a great place to go because you'll get frustrated quickly because you are counting on everyone around you every day to do what they do best. Um, And so, you know, when I stepped into the role as the general manager merchandise, the magic kingdom, you know, I don't really even like to shop. Right. So I get there and, uh, you know, they're saying, and I'm replacing a lady who was a VP at Nike. uh, And (laughs) that's all she knew is retail. Um, So I quickly looked around and what every job I've done is the first thing is uh, I dive in, find out how this business runs. Mm. And so, um, you put, and this is a com, very common at, at Disney, you put a costume on and you go work. So when I was working in the hotel, I was a, a, a housekeeper for a few weeks and I was with the housekeepers. How do you clean a room? 
What are the hard parts about cleaning a room? How do you get this job done? What are their attitudes? What are they are worried about? Um, I learned how to get uh, trained to check in guests at the front desk and how does the computer system work and how does uh-huh. this all go and how do you uh, block rooms and how do you do all these things? So I, I got firsthand knowledge uh, just to be there. And part of it is to learn it technically, but the biggest part is to show everyone I really respect what their jobs are. And, I, and I'm going to spend the time shoulder to shoulder to learn how the job works. So when I finish my training, I can make better decisions and I can understand better what the important things are. And then other things I didn't learn, like visual merchandise, that is an art in itself. When you see the windows at Walt Disney World, you see the displays, um, where things are put, you know, there's a there's a, a science to that. You put, um, you fold the, all, all the t-shirts at Walt Disney were folded and yeah. if they have a character on them, the eyes, you fold on the eyes where the, the, the crease is. So the eyes are looking out on the shelf wow. and it's more engaging. And so there's a bunch of stuff and I know some of it, but I didn't know nearly all of it. So the biggest stresses for me were, um, you know, a lot of times being the eternal beginner, I was always the new person. I was always the one with the least expertise, the least network. But the good thing was after, you know, 12, 18 months in a job, I was now like, okay, I now know how to do that too. And I could move on to the next role after that. So um, letting go of my ego and realizing that I had to get things done through people uh, was um, that's one of the hardest things a leader has to do, but that was the key to success. I, I don't think it's just at Disney. I think it's a lot of leaders in the world think they're the smartest or they make the best decisions. And I think if they can get better at helping others influence their decision-making, they'll be even better leaders. Um, Cause as I always say, a leader's job is not to get things done. It is to make sure things get done. And that's uh-huh. where you really start empowering people. You listen to their ideas, you engage them. You're not the hero. You don't want a decision made. It's a team. And when something goes wrong, it's your fault personally. (laughs) Responsibility. So those are all the things I learned along the way. And I learned them by making lots and lots of mistakes. Mistakes. Yes. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. But but I recovered and people would give me a break. And um, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about how things go. And as you build that experience up, you just get better and smarter and and wiser, I guess. You get better at these jobs. Hey, Dan. So I know that you had 19 positions at Disney. What position did you like the most out of your career with Disney? Yeah, that's a good one. So looking back, the first uh, general manager role, my first executive role uh, running the Wilderness Lodge and the Fort Wilderness Campground, that was just, that was a great job. Because first of all, if you've been there, you just know what the environment looks like. I mean, you're in the the, the great Northwest Sequoia Lodge Hotel. Um, you go to the campground, you have the hoop to do review, the, the Chippendale sing along. I mean, it's like the epitome of the Disney experience kids remember. And, uh, you know, I got to ride my bike around, talk to the people like who are camping and with these, you know, multi-million dollar motorhomes and have coffee with them and talk to them about their experience. And then Artist Point is a signature restaurant, the Wilderness Lodge. So you had these incredible chefs uh, and you had the Disney Vacation Club there. So you learn that business. So that was, it was a great place to learn. And the other thing, which is great about being a, a resort general manager when I was there is you're just out there by yourself with your team. Like, you know, everyone leaves you alone. They're just like, just 
get your job done, make the guests ha- happy, meet your budgets, and then we don't care what you do. Yeah, that's an oversimplification, but you're not part of a yeah, you meet weekly with the other GMs in a meeting, but otherwise you're there running the place. And it's as close as you're going to get to being a, an independent general manager at Walt Disney World. When you're in a park, you're one of five other general managers working and coordinating, collaborating, and that has its own challenges and its own rewards. But uh, I think that job was great because I was learning. Uh, I was able to do it, but I was learning every single day. And I had the independence, which was uh, really nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wilderness is great. I I totally have a question. Yeah. Um, So I've read the book, you know, how's the culture in your kingdom and you've thrown out some of those nuggets already. I'm sorry. I'm Lisa. You know, I can't, I can't wait. Sorry. There's probably. I love your your, uh, spaceship earth background. Lisa. It's very (laughs) emotional for me. But I was wondering, um, I know you've said you've, you've had a mentor. I just heard, but who influenced your career um, and and pushed you so much towards leadership and management and building those relationships and building up other people while you were at Disney and then versus now? Do you still have contact with mentors and and folks like that? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so here here's something that um, I, I, I've thought about this. And I think, you know, people say, you know, your your success in your career is, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. And I, I agree that's the case. And when you say, you know, pushing me towards leadership and that kind of thing, um, I think I ended up picking a company that was perfect for me because it matched my values and what was rewarded. Uh, you know, growing up, and I, I, I talk about this a lot. I grew up, I was a pretty social guy. Um, I was an athlete. So I spent a lot of time on teams and you learn a lot about collaboration and communication and, uh, and, and conflict, uh, in, in sports. Um, I was, um, you know, pretty in high school, I kind of knew everybody. I wasn't, you know, I was, I was an athlete, but I also, I hung out with everyone. I knew everyone and I was friendly with everyone. And that was my personality. So when I ended up going the college program and eventually working at Disney and parking and going through there, I didn't really have to change. I mean, it seemed so natural to me. It was a place where you worked on teams. It was a very positive environment. Uh, The leadership said, you know, go be nice to guests, figure out ways to make them feel good. I'm, I'm naturally wired for service. I enjoy helping people. And I'm not saying that some people don't like that, but you like that to various degrees. And so I didn't, I think I just didn't have to change that much. I just, you know, went with the flow and I had so many role models around me uh, every day. And that's the great thing about, you know, growing up when I was playing sports, like you all, I'm sure you've seen that when you play on teams where there's more talent, you play better, you play better than you should. Yeah. And that was the same thing at Walt Disney World. I was a much higher performer um, because I was trying to keep up with all these other really passionate people who wanted to be there. And that was, uh, it was, you know, so even, I mean, there's not a day I didn't go to work. I was a little nervous. I'm like, it's like game day. Like we're going in, it's going to be a big day. I mean, you're, you had that like tingling sensation. You want to do well. Um, so I think all that played along, uh, and I miss it. I miss that a lot. You know, people say, do you miss days? And I said, well, there's a lot I don't miss. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the structure, the meetings, the bureaucracy, some of those things, but boy, the people, 
uh, that it's it's and that's why I love getting invitations to these podcasts. I just love talking and, and engaging yeah. and interacting. And so um, I'm finding ways to do that. Uh, I've been uh, I just signed up for a book club because I want to get together with a group every week and talk. And I'm like, give me something to do. And because when you're working, <laughs> a lot of it is as an entrepreneur, it is very isolated. You're preparing. Even when I do a keynote speech, those are a lot of fun. I love them. But there's no there's not a lot of interaction. You get up, you yeah. speak. Maybe you talk to the audience and you, and, you, and you leave after that. So I think that's something that's been uh, hard to get used to. Um, but as I've told other people, you just you can't have it all. You can't have it all. When you make decisions in your life, you have to decide what you're going to sacrifice and what you want. And you can't have it all. So you have to make sure you get the most important things to you. And there's other things you're going to have to find other ways to to get those done. And that's uh, that's been a big learning the past five years. And it's cemented that for me is be grateful for what you have because you can't have it all. Ah, so good, man. Yeah, that's that's great. Because I know that you... Um, some of the things and and that I remember reading, we're talking about the people you surround yourself with and the people that, you know, and that's, that's a lot. I'm working on my um, doctorate of management degree and just working on some of my research. And it, that's why I get so excited about all of this, I think, because I see so many people that um, it's easy. It's not as easy to encourage some and some are, are hungry and ready to be encouraged. And, and I love that. Um, the people that come with the fire ready that morning to go. <laughs> well, you're talking about something that is right square in what I think people who are successful in their whole life have. And we define it. We, we use the word attitude, but an attitude can be defined many different ways, but the way, um, Carol Quinn, who we use her materials a lot on, on talent selection. She talks about attitude. People that have a great attitude, they're internally motivated. They don't, it doesn't matter who their boss is or how much they get paid or what their environment is or what tools they have. They just figure it out because they have a pride in being resourceful and figuring things out and just not letting anything get them down. So they overcome obstacles. They overcome barriers. They just figure a way out. And that's anyone you've seen who's been successful in their life has had that. they never give up. They keep moving forward. Even when the chips are down, they keep this positive attitude, which seems kind of naive, but it works. Works uh, a little bit like Goofy. Yeah, he, he doesn't. He <laughs> doesn't know he's Goofy. He just keeps no, moving he's forward. He just falls down, but he gets right back and works. Yeah. I guess I fall down, and he I just know. gets back up, and he just goes right back. You know. And I've been exposed to a lot of those people, so anytime I feel sorry for myself, or I'm like, like, hey, Dan get your attitude together, get up and go. Cause no one cares if you're down or not. You just got to self-motivate. And a lot of people choose not to do that or they don't know how, or they don't even know it's a possibility. And there's other people, it seems like they're, they're constantly create getting these lucky breaks Yeah, and it's not lucky. They're just open. Their mind is open. They're looking around and they're taking advantage of every situation they're in and they turn it into something positive. And uh, I think if, if I could, if I could figure out how to write a book to teach people how to do that, I'd make a lot of money. But I don't know how you teach people that to think differently about themselves. That's hard. Oh, I want to come back to that so much. That's okay. such a good. Hey, and uh, Lisa, I'll take this opportunity because you mentioned at the beginning you're the mom and the leadership and everything. So my wife Valerie just wrote a book. It comes out um, next week. No, it comes out in two days from now. It's called Manage Like a Mother. Uh, 
uh, leadership lessons drawn from the wisdom of mom. And uh, we are really excited. And she's written a lot about how raising our three kids and how moms are the uh, have incredible leadership skills because they the way they raise their kids giving feedback, setting clear expectations for performance, unconditional love, time management. And she did a whole uh, argument that mothers are the best. And it's not a book just for moms. It's a book for anyone who had a mother or has been influenced by a mother because they're incredible role models. And so uh, um, I'll get your address after the show. I'll make sure I get a copy. So maybe you can put her in your PhD. We will. And I was about to say that I'm guarantee that sort of book, the kind of books that are like that are the books I naturally want to read because I'm like, I guarantee that book is not just for mothers. It's, it's for anybody, you know, and, and yeah. you, you just, you just said it. And I'm like, okay, I got, I got to get that book. I got, I got to read it myself. Cause I'll make sure y'all have all the information. At the end. Yes, please, please do. It would be awesome. We'll put a, a link when we release the uh, episode, we'll put a link in the show notes. So everyone listening can go grab one. Yeah. Great. Cool, Matt, and then Barry, or Barry, well, let's go Matt, let's go Matt. Yeah. Is that all right, Barry? So, okay. Dan, on, on sharing the magic, we like when our guests get to like share stories, like specific stories about, you know, their, their time with Disney or just in their life. And you've, having held so many different positions at Disney World for Disney and your role as a leader, you know, I really would be interested to know, is there like a specific story where you know that, that just sticks in your head where your skills as a leader were like maybe put to the test or maybe altered the way that you led moving forward after that situation like what were some of the things you had to face just kind of in the day-to-day of, of being a leader at disney yeah so gosh i there's there's uh there's so many but i ha- i did have a few moments so and in, in 2009, they told me, hey, we'd like to uh, offer you the job of vice president at Epcot. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I never <laughs> believed. Like, I was like, you know, when I started Disney, I'm like, if I can become a manager, I'm going to be happy. You know, I just I had no vision. I'd like, you know, not like I want to be president when I grow up. I was like, I'm just going to work hard and do it. And it just, you know, I was I was, I was a good fit there. And uh, I got great experiences. And so I got uh, offered that uh, job. Well, four days after I got that job, uh, Walt Disney World announced that we were laying off like 800 or 1,000 managers. Um, no no hourly cast members. but uh, And so I was going to be part of that. And I was like, you know, see, the excitement didn't last a long time. Then it right. came of, uh, hey, OK, this job uh, doesn't just include you get your name in the paper and you get a clipping to send your mom. You have to actually do some really hard stuff. And so four days later, I was you know, going with an HR manager to people I knew to let them know that they had been um, um, laid off from the company. And that was like a harsh reality. Um, but it was, there was a great learning from that. I think not just for me, but I think for a lot of leaders of Walt Disney world, Disney is a very positive place. And, um, it has, it has changed a lot in the past few years. And I know it's been in the news a lot and, but it, it runs, it, it was kind of, when you worked at Disney, it's like, if you just get 80% done, you can have a full career here. It's, it's kind of like a government job. Like you're, you'll be okay. So what, what I realized was when I talked to some of the leaders or heard some of the leaders getting laid off, the first thing they said is, do you know how long I've worked here? And I knew there was something wrong because that 
I know we should say that should play into the decisions, but at the end of the day, you're working and you need to bring value and you got to go in every day and prove that you belong there. And I think the culture had become, you go in and just kind of, we're a team, we get it done and everything's going to be okay. And from that day forward, I changed my performance to, if there was a layoff tomorrow, would they say there's no way we're letting Dan go because I work so hard. And so that was a, that was a, that was one of those wake up calls for me um, is you better come in every day. Like you're trying to keep your job because it's not guaranteed. Yeah. And up until that time, it had been in 09. Now, since then there's been a lot more, it's become more like a quote unquote real company. I mean, I think people <laughs> see what happens and that kind of thing. So that was a big one. And then um, I think some of the moments, the crisis moments um, when I got to the also, I was a general manager the all-star resort for a couple years. And that was a year. And I, I, I can never get my dates right anywhere, but it was the year we had three hurricanes in like six weeks, seven weeks. And when that happens, what happened over time was it used to be, well, who, who, how many people are in the parks? They'll come back. They'll ride out the, the hurricane in our hotels. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was even if you were low occupancy, the locals in central Florida realized Walt Disney World is one of the safest places to be for a hurricane. The electricity doesn't get cut off. There's emergency services available. And so we would actually fill up. And so you're at the, you know, I'm at the all-star uh, there's, it's a 6,000 room hotel. So you have anywhere between 18 to 24,000 people there. Uh, and the hurricane comes and you're telling everyone be ready to be in your hotel room for up to three days, fill up your tubs with water, get food at the restaurant and it was um, that was that weighed kind of heavily on me uh, having all these people in that hotel. And you you, know, you have a command center you're calling into. But uh, I had a one guest. They were in the room for like, I don't know, four hours. And after four hours, they called and said, we're hungry. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did you not read the letter or the hear the recording or talk to the per- you know, yeah. we told you for 72 hours? And they're like, well, we didn't think you're serious. So I'm like, well, look, um, <laughs> That's I said, I said. We, we, they said, we have a few snacks. I said, well, look, I will call you back in 12 hours, but you're not going to starve to death, but we literally can't send emergency services to get your food. I mean, that's even the fire department can't go out during this unless it's a life and death situation. Mm-hmm. So they called 911 and said, we were, I was, I was personally holding them in their room and the emergency services oh. says, well, a <laughs> the general manager's right. You can't, you can't come out of your room. We can't come to you. B, you can go out if you want, but you may get hit by like a, a Volvo flying through the air. So don't do that. Um, so got to watch logis- those flying Volvos. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the logistics behind that, uh, 9-11, you know, I was at the All-Star and we didn't know what was going on and all the parks were evacuated. Um, when, you know, I was the Magic Kingdom, when the little boy at the Grand Floridian got mm-hmm. um, you know, snatched by the alligator, which oh my goodness. I thought was a, a hoax. I'd, like, I'm like, there's no way that happened. We there, We've been yeah. here 40 years. It's never happened. It was real. Uh, um, and that was the same. That was the same week as the Pulse shooting in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple of employees that were at that bar during that time. So you, you remember these. I mean, we had a lot of incredible magical stories and things, but you remember those moments that are like serious. And are you yeah. ready for these? Are you prepared to handle these? And a lot of your employees are looking to you for leadership, for direction. And and you're not by yourself. You know, it's Walt Disney World's a big team, but you're yeah. part of the team and you're making sure you keep take care of your people, take care of your guests. Yeah, it's amazing to think that, you know, people think of, oh, it's Disney World. Nothing can really happen. And yet you're like, Oh, we got to worry about hurricanes and alligators. And like, there's so much that goes into it from how big it is 
that you that you have to deal with. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, and 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 just to piggyback on that, Matt, it's like you know, Disneyland is it's the you know it's it's a place you go to 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 be encapsulated in magic in a fairy mm-hmm. tale. But as much as we want to do that, hey, every every sometimes you can't really and it, and it's a great place to be. Don't get me wrong, but real life happens sometimes and. Yep. Things in life happen. And and when they do happen, well, how do you have good leadership? How do you, as somebody that like you that are working in that situation, how do you lead um, in such a way where when everybody's expectations are sky high, how do you ground people in right. leadership to a to a point where you know you're you're doing a uh, what what I would call a good job, and I think yeah. you just shared some some really great stuff. You know? Yeah, and when when things get hard and difficult situations happen, you know it's really it's really interesting to see who's who steps up, and usually it's unlikely people, and who's there to really communicate and be yeah. the the rock. And <laughs> some of that is you know in the moment your personality, but a lot of it is training and remembering. Okay, what were we? How are we trained to handle these situations and stay with the plan, right. uh, and be be ready for these moments. They happen so infrequently, but boy, that 15, 20 minutes of these situations, you are being judged on what you say, how you say it, how you treat people. And um, it's, it's important to keep your calm and learn from those moments. Yeah. Going, you telling your story, going through that. Okay. Something really, really ridiculous happened. Well, what do you do now? How did you handle that situation? Well, this is how, based upon what you already went through, your story, you, you've, you've, you've been a team player, you've, all this stuff came into play, and then you acted in leadership, you know. Right. And the irony is during those moments, a lot of times it's the time not to be humble. It's the time <laughs> to be decisive Yeah, because a lot of people is like, look, we don't want humility right now. We want confidence. Yes. We want, and so you have to tell them, look, you don't tell them, I don't, I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen next, but you say, look, this is the, yeah. this is the best decision we're going to make next. Here's why now okay. go. And, uh, that's, there's a moment for that where, yeah. um, and you have to toggle back and forth. Okay. Is this a good time to be, um, to get a consensus or am I just going to tell everyone, this is the plan move forward. If you see anything wrong with this and give me feedback and we will readjust mm-hmm. and people jump right on. And so the, the silver lining to these moments is you're building up life experiences with other people in the organization. You're building trust. This is when you really build um, your reputation and you get people to trust you and see what's going on in the moment. You can be empathetic and decisive at the same time. And when things get better, people know, okay, I'm going to, we have a, we have a closer relationship now. That's why on colleges, when you look at um, fraternities and they do all this hazing, which, you know, there's not all <laughs> hazing is bad. It's just yeah. a lot of it gets really bad rap, but yeah. they're just trying to create a, they're, they're trying to get everyone to connect. Yeah. yeah. We, we want you all to become a, a class together, all freshmen together. We are going to be the, uh, the enemies here and you are going to be tighter after this. And now they, they create that moments the the ones you deal with in business are just happen. And, yeah. but it's, it's, they become stories and they become lore and how do you handle things in the future uh, for, for the, the next generation of leaders coming up. That's right. That's right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Ooh, what a question. Yeah. So two things pop spring to mind, although um, 
I could probably, if I, I got another few minutes to think, I could come up with way too many. Uh, <laughs> hey, you just so you follow your heart. I'll give you the runner-up. When okay. I was uh, when I became the, the the VP at Epcot at the time, you know, Walt Disney World organizational structure is constantly changing. It, it's more and it's, it's there's layers put in and layers taken out. And at the time. Um, I was reporting to Meg Crofton, who's the president of Walt Disney World. And after that, we got a senior vice president of parks. And so, but that was at that point in time, the park VPs reported directly to the president of Walt Disney World, which was really cool because you're like, I report the president. And so we'd, I'd sit down with Meg and every, when we had our one-on-one once a month, I had a laundry list of things I wanted to talk to her about. And I realized when we started talking, none of those mattered. She's like, you know, I'm like, I can figure that stuff out. She would sit down and just ask me a couple questions and then give me sort of a, 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 a drop of wisdom as she'd leave. And um, <laughs> one was she told me all the time is because a huge piece of this when you're at these levels is decision making. You have to make decisions and yeah. there are no there are no win win situations decisions everything is a sacrifice everything is when you make a decision there's always a dark side of that decision there's always something that's not going to be you know the most positive thing uh, and you have to make it with not, not having all the information so her advice was when you make a decision start with the communication plan because you're going to have to do that eventually you're going to have to talk to your guests you're going to have to talk to your employees you're going to have to explain it to somebody Write what your communication plan is on the decision you're making and see how it sounds out loud. And once you hear it, it's going to be very clear, a lot clearer what your decision should be or if you're making a really bad decision. Uh, so that was a great piece of advice. And I think about that now when I'm making a decision is, okay, if I had to type this and put an email and, and blast it out, what would people think? Um, and that would be, and it, it's, it, do I feel good about this? Do I feel moral about this? Do I feel like this is the right thing to do? Um, so that was one. And then the best decision I, I uh, best um, advice I've gotten was from my grandfather. Um, he, uh, he had a career in the Navy. He was in World War II. He went to the Naval Academy. He was a rear admiral uh, engineer. I mean, just a really impressive guy. But he uh, one time he told me a quote. He told it to our whole family, but I adopted it. I have it on a, 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 fl- a framed uh, piece of paper in my office at, at where we live. Um, his quote was, do your best and forgive yourself. And I just love that. And everyone hears it and understands it in a different way. I'm not going to tell you what it means because people understand it differently. But his uh, and I think about awesome. that all the time, you do your best. And there's days when you do your best and you still fail. You do the best you can. Like yeah. everything's perfect and you still aren't good enough to do, get the goal where you want to be. There's other days when you go, you know what? I failed today, but I know I didn't do my best. I know yeah. I didn't try my hardest. I didn't. I could have done more. And yeah. you hold yourself accountable. And then there's days when um, you do your best and you're wildly successful. But however that all goes down, you forgive yourself afterwards because you can't go back in time. You can't be shameful of it. You can't relive it. You just got to learn from it. You forgive yourself. You get up the next day and you go back at it. I and love that. I that's I that's what I think it. about all the time. Uh, it's, it's things like guilt and shame. And I think procrastination, the root of per, like procrastination is the fruit. I'm always asking, what's at the root? Mm. You know, what's at the root of this? Right. Well, well, I think a lot of times where we don't do our best things like, you know, procrastination where we're, we we're hesitant. It comes from things like guilt, shame. And I yep. think what you just said is like, 
you know, the, the act of forgiving yourself, that's an act. That's something you have to do maybe on a daily basis, you know, there's times, yeah, you got to light, you got to light a fire under your butt. And I think, how do you, how do you relieve that sense of guilt and shame to where you feel free? You can lift your head up high and you can move on in the day. You know, I breathe it in. I go, I breathe in grace. I breathe in forgiveness, even for my own self. And then, you know what I do? I go, I breathe it out to others. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the visualization of it because it's this, these are all behaviors and actions because you can, your mind, you can justify anything. You can make yourself feel however you want, but when you do something, it's different. And um, it's an example. I got a, a LinkedIn message from one of my distant cousins yesterday and um he just said hey i was thinking about you i was watching rugby at this uh cafe with this guy and i know you're watching the world cup right now and left it at that and i responded i said hey great to hear from you uh you know i think i hope france goes all the way um hope you're well yeah and then i sat down and about six hours later i thought to myself did you do your best just now i'm like no and i sent him a follow-up note hey by the way let's catch up and i sent him my scheduling link because that is my best is saying not just hope you're well but he reached out now how can i connect and have a conversation because i don't talk to him enough and that was the little thing i did and i felt so much better i'm like all right you made the right decision and you you pushed yourself a little bit so you know this thing i i get it you wake up in the morning you're like i don't know where to start just starts with like make your bed go for a walk call somebody do you know get get some wins on the board and they're very little actions that build up confidence and make you feel better about yourself and that's how you get the big stuff done yeah thanks jeff my pleasure so dan let, let, let me ask you this we we did have your uh your father on uh, one of our beginning episodes here and you know reading through his books and and um your books you know you guys really touch on the leadership aspect and how um to better yourself and to better those around you so let me let me ask you um at your time at uh, Disney, uh, who were some of the people that kind of inspired you to go into the leadership and to go into um, maybe grandfathering that information into um, what this whole um, term leadership is nowadays among um, some of these uh, younger generations? So, so go ahead and uh, tell us about your time. Some of, some of the people that kind of influenced you and um, how that made you become, um, you know, into the area of study that you're doing right now. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when people ask me who your mentors were, I have, uh, I have some people who have been extremely influential in my life. Uh, But what, what I've tried to do, I look at everyone as a mentor. I know a lot of people think a mentor is this relationship and you meet and you talk. And But for me, mentors uh, give you ideas and examples of what you can become and, and what you could be doing. And I think everyone has something to offer. Um, I was, when I was at, uh, uh, I'll go back to the All-Star. That was a very big learning moment for me. I always thought when I like got the place like the All-Star that housekeepers hated their jobs because it's a hard job. You're cleaning 18 rooms a day and you're cleaning toilets and, you know, bathtubs and vacuuming and people make a mess. And when I spent time with them, A, I realized they were some of the 
happiest, most fulfilled employees of Walt Disney World because the great ones love cleaning. They get, they love to see the final product. It's like when you're a little kid, you mow the lawn, or even when you're an adult, you mow the lawn. You're like, Man, that's a good looking lawn. Well, they, these these housekeepers did the same. And when they went home, they had no one texting them, paging them. No one was calling about any issues because they had done their job for the day. And they were connected. They were grateful. And so they were great role models for me of how to really enjoy quality and knowing you did a good job and in that. Um, I had... Um, there was you know, executives who I never even spent time with who inspired me for leadership roles. Cause I saw how they carried themselves. I saw the impact they made. Um, and so I think that's what, you know, younger leaders or younger adults, they try to figure out who am I, like what, who, who am I, who do I want to be? And I think the more you educate yourself, it could be reading about famous historical figures, biographies. And a lot of times it can be people who are in your life who are role models and you pick and choose. You know what? I want to be a little more like that. I want to be more empathetic. Uh, my mom, my mom has been a huge influence in my life on being empathetic because everyone calls her when they have a problem and she doesn't give them any answers. She just listens and says, oh. that must be hard. You know what? I'm, I know that I know that must be really difficult <laughs> to deal with. And boy, when I call her, I feel so much better afterwards. And I'm, she didn't tell me what to do, but she, she knows my pain now. Um, <laughs> and so then I see other leaders who come in and they go and they focus on every single person they're talking to. That's the only person that exists in the whole world the moment they're talking to them. And we all get distracted today. We give nonverbal cues. We're not really engaged. We're not listening. And I've seen leaders who are just incredible at doing that. And I said, I want to be more like that. And so wanting to be more like that and being more like that, that's the gap. You got to really figure out if you are, are, are going to be that way and then find ways to have that habit and that behavior. But um, so I would tell you, I was just lucky along the way just to have all these great role models um, because Disney, you know, they they attract people who are really talented, really smart and really good at what they do. And then uh, since leaving Disney the past five years, it's been very similar nature. How do I find people who I want to be like when it comes to how they run their business? and how they deliver their services and how they do those things. And I'm constantly going online. I'm benchmarking. Um, I went to a, my wife and I went to a keynote speaker boot camp a few months ago because we'd never really formally learned how to do this business. And so we went and we learned a ton of stuff, like mm. find out who like th four or five speakers that you really admire and go to their websites and see what they're doing because they're doing something right because you know about them and they're real successful. So take some things from them and then figure out how you're going to be what your unique messages and mix those together. Hmm. But um, there's with, with, with technology now you can go see so much. You just have to figure out who do you want to be and you can't switch it every week. It has to be at the base of who you are. Um, do you want to be someone who's on time known as being, you know, reliable? That's a huge, huge thing in this, in, in, in any business reliability, showing up when you say you're going to show up, doing what you said you're going to do. Um, so I would just tell people, um, if you're developing what, how your success, just start making a list of the things you think are important, why they're important, then find people who do it that way and learn from them. And over time you will become, you'll, you'll have your own style, whatever that's going to be. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make that list. You don't know, like, so that list, I think you said, is important. It's for me personally because there are things I know. Okay, I'm good. I'm good at. But there's, if I could, let's say, at top ten, 
a top 10 list. There's five. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm good at that. But the other five, let's say, yeah, I probably needs is what, I, what, what do you want? Well, I, here's what I want. I want to be this. I want to be that. But then comes sort of this question of like, are you good at it? Nope, not really good. But then the question after that is, well, can you go find somebody that can help you? And the answer is yes. Yep. And that was great. That was great. It's like, go find that person that if you want to, if you want to embark, like if you want to embody, you know, a, a group of questions, you know, or, or a group of, of, of qualities, go find the people that have those qualities and learn. Right. Because yep. every quality that we want to have, once again, is represented through behaviors and actions. Just because we think it doesn't mean anything because right. it doesn't, there's no, it, it has to be done. Are you a generous person? Yes. Okay. Tell me five things you've done in the past month that you consider to be generous. And it's not judging someone's character. No. People who are generous will come up with 20 examples. I helped a lady at the supermarket and offered to bring her card in. And I was at a gas station. The guy was a little short for uh, his uh, Diet Coke, and I covered it for him. And I had a friend who was doing a, a fundraiser, and he was running, and I, I donated $25 to him. And so you come up with examples of what you're doing to exhibit those qualities. It's right. that simple. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people like to think I'm this way and this way, but I'm you punctual. Know. And you're like, so how often did you get, you show up? You're like, well, I was five minutes late. Uh, right. I was, you know, I, I tried my best to be at that meeting, but it just, you know, things happened. And right. then that's when you probably go like, okay, there's somebody out here who is a punctual person that I can learn from. Right. Right. How do you do it? Yeah. Don't overschedule yourself. Be more realistic on how you, when you're looking yeah. at things, be more planful, uh, you know, anticipate technology problems. I mean, there's, <laughs> there are actions and behaviors that back up everything. And yeah. I think we all think there's some magical solution that one day we're just going to be good at something. It doesn't work that way. It just has right. to be the way you handle yourself and you behave and you yeah. learn and you, you build habits. Um, and with technology now, you can get tons of programs to remind you to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to be better at re recognizing people. And, okay, well, then Siri, she'll never forget. Tell Siri <laughs> to remind you every day at 5 o'clock to write a thank you note or text someone you worked with today that helped you that you appreciated. Boom. Yeah. Now you're doing it, and you do it five You do it five days a week. Now, after a month, you've done 20 of it, and now people start to say, wow, they really are good at recognizing people. Why? Because you did it every day. Right. You just can't do it on Mondays once a year and be known for that. It has to be your behavior, and you can't do everything either. You can't be known for everything. So you got to figure out what is it that you want to be your reputation to be oh. and um, pick something that's going to bring value to your organization and to yourself. So, Dan, let, let, let me ask you this. Um, when you do your um... – leadership seminars and things like that. Ha have you noticed that um, the generations have changed and, and how they, how they approach leadership are younger people. Are they looking for help or are they trying to get it on their own or are they trying to, you know, create their own instead of um, reaching out to people who actually know things? That's a great question. Yeah. Great. It is a great question. So Valor and I were doing some, uh, research and it was i think 35% of entry level managers actually get any formalized training so a lot are just really good employees and then they get promoted you're a great employee the guests love you you're on time you're reliable so you're going to be a manager and they 
you know, companies put them in place. Some are because they just don't have the time and resources to provide that training. Others just, um, they have the time and resources. They just haven't figured out how important it is and don't spend time to, to, to structure it. Um, or they just say, look, if we can't put in a fill in the blank of company university, we're not going to do anything. And it doesn't take that. It just takes, and we're, 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 what we're seeing is um, individual managers finding resources and figuring it out, the, the ones that are are smart about it. And, you know, I'll tell you, this is not, it's not some mysterious thing. You go out there, you find a good leadership course, and you, you watch a 30-minute video on how to give effective feedback. You get a worksheet, you put some things on it, and now when you go back the next day, you're going to be a thousand percent better at giving performance feedback. It doesn't mean you're going to be great at it yet because it's going to take experience, but a lot of leaders never even are trained on even where you start, like identifying, did I set an exp a clear expectation I'm giving this feedback on? Or is, is I, am I coaching someone on something they didn't even know was a problem? Am I giving them a specific observable example? Am I asking them why it's important they change their behavior? Am I asking them if they have any questions? Am I following up a week later after I give them the feedback to tell them either they've improved or they haven't improved? Um, just the 30 minutes like that, that's going to serve you the rest of your career. Now go into time management, now go into building relationships, now go into partnering and collaborating, problem solving. I mean, there's a laundry list of these leadership skills. And so I don't know why organizations, and I, the problem is organizations see this as a cost. It costs me time. It costs me money. I don't have that, but, um, it's, we, we clearly see it as an investment and these leaders that are stepping into these roles even the minimum amount of leadership training is going to make them so much more effective. And by the way, also a lot of companies now are saying, you know what, we um, we'll take people who don't have college degrees now into these roles because, you know, degrees are getting less and less valuable and they can, will continue as technology evolves and, and, and this evolves. And so they don't even get a chance to get that in, in college, which you don't typically get anyway. But so um, colleges and, and or employers are going to have to figure this out. And there's a lot of there's a lot of products out there at different price points that can fill that need. Oh, man, you're on the cutting edge, my friend. Oh, my goodness. My wife is in the library. You know, once upon a time to be part of a library, you had to have a library science degree. Nowadays, it's like, nope, not at all. It, like they're they're looking, you know. Th this is just a, a very tiny snapshot, but I but I think I think this this sort of is a it's a tiny snapshot, but it's bigger than that. You know, you would have to get once upon a time you'd have to go you know go to college and and spend a lot of money for this degree to have a, a library science degree, but now they're like, yeah, no, let's look for alternative ways. So what you said was. 100% cutting edge because I always think, you know, if I had, if I had a, a teenager kid, which I don't, but if I did, how would I talk to them about their upcoming career in college and late high school? Boy, that, that would be right now, just a hard thing to speak into. I think, you know, used to, it was sort of like, well, you just go to college and you just, you know, you pick out your degree, whatever you want, whatever, just you, get a degree in what you want. But now it's so, so much more uh, creative, like how to make your mark in in our culture. Well, I'll leave you with a quick quote because I use this often. It's Charles Darwin. And I've thought about that because we have we have three kids in their 20s. Yeah. So we're not raising 
kids right now. And I, I, <laughs> I would throw, I would rethink it dramatically. I think after you <laughs> raise your kids, you're like, man, can I get a do over? Cause I want to, I got some things I want to change. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, another book, but yeah, one of the quotes he had is, um, it is not the most intellectual of the species that survives. It is not the strongest that survives, but the species is best able to adapt and adjust the changing environment in which it finds itself. It's about adaptation. And so we were talking before we hit record today on, you know, AI, mm-hmm. what's going on with that. And so having this information anymore is not going to have the value. It's how to use the knowledge to uh, apply it in creative ways and and use your critical thinking. And I think that's one of the best things we can teach leaders. We can teach kids is um, how to be resourceful and use and have that attitude. You know, have the attitude. I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going to give up. Uh, this is personal to me. I have a pride in figuring this out and I'm going to figure out how to bring other people into this. I'm going to be uh, humble enough to listen to other opinions that I don't understand. I'm going to use technology that's coming that I don't understand, but I'm going to learn it. Yeah. And so just being open to that change. And that's what most of us have trouble doing, adapting and adjusting to this stuff. And it's and be, uh, yeah. And being resilient, right? So you, uh, you, you mess up, you fall down. That's where my goofy, sorry, everyone. <laughs> This is where like Goofy is the most resilient. Oh, he falls up. He falls down. But what is he? Roars. Well, I guess I fell down. (laughs) He laughs at himself. And there's a thing. um, A Goofy, like they say, Goofy Pintokolvik, I think, you know, I think it was him that said, well, the the reason why I voice Goofy in the way that he, he laughs at himself because nobody else laughs with him. And I think that's one of the most... I mean, it's tragic if you think of it, but it's not. It's it's sort of like, you know, life is kind of funny sometimes and you make mistakes and people don't laugh enough. People aren't resilient enough. You know, you fall down, somebody else falls down. You should you should sort of say, hey, that happens. (laughs) That was funny. Instead, we sort of we get really, really um, opinionated or we get we get really you know, shake our finger, but Goofy doesn't do that. He falls down, gorge. Well, I just fell down. Well, I, I'm up again. <laughs> he laughs at himself, his situation, and he's resilient. He just, he's ready to adapt. He's ready to adapt. And that goes exactly what you just said. I think, I think, um, you yeah, know. Dan, so you, you have you time for like one more question? Because that quote just like made something pop in my head. Oh, that yeah, I think Matt. You could you could kind of give us some great input on here. So, you know, Disney celebrating its hundredth year, right? It's been around for a century and you're saying the species that survives is the one that adapts with your expertise as a leader and being with the company for so long. What do you see Disney needing to do to adapt, to survive another hundred years? That's a good question. (laughs) There is a reason Disney's been around for a hundred years it's gone through a lot of challenging times like many other companies, but uh-huh. it's still around, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. And there are some basics uh, values or basic nature of that business that will never go away. It'll never get old or stale. One is storytelling. Oh. And if you talk to the Imagineers, They'll talk about storytelling and it's old as man itself. I mean, you know, go back, I don't know, millions of years and the storytelling was how humans connected with each other. It's how they created rituals. It's how they created, uh, you know, uh, remembering prior generations 
It's how they took forward knowledge to be better at surviving on this planet. So that's, that's embedded in our DNA. Storytelling isn't just entertainment. It is something that we are just drawn to. Um, and so that, and, and Disney is a storytelling company. And so that is something it has, and it has to stay in that vein. It has to keep, you know, connected with that. Um, and then the other thing that Disney has done is saying, you know what, storytelling can be done lots of different ways. It hasn't. And, and, you know, I remember when we were talking about hand, you know, the hand drawn cells, and then they started to go to using computer animation and people are like, well, that's the end of the company, you know, and that they're going to this new technology. <laughs> it's not about the technology. You're just telling the story in a different way. And so in my mind, it's as I'm sure there's more, I'm a lot more to it, but in my mind, it's as simple as that. If the company can continue to learn how to connect storytelling to whatever it does. Now today, the storytelling is done through streaming media. It's done through theme parks. It's done by in-person physical experiences. It's done with um, products Um, and the future. It may look a lot different, but if it stays in the storytelling business, um, I think it's going to, you know, it'll survive another hundred years. It's just going to have to figure out the next way to do that in a very compelling way. So Dan, before we go, why don't you tell us about your website? Yeah. So we have our, our website is called uh, cockerelconsulting.com. And Valerie and I are co-partners in our business. Um, you know, we didn't talk a whole bunch about her, but she worked for Disney for 16 years. She was in retail and she was a facilitator at the Disney Institute for six years as a contract facilitator. So we uh, we work together now and we do um, I do keynote speeches. She does keynote speeches. We do a workshop. We have a few workshops. One's called uh, The Method to the Magic. It's a six hour workshop on how a business can apply the um, Disney uh, f- service framework and leadership framework and culture framework to its business. Um, and then we do one called The Next Level, which is kind of how to how leaders can even be more effective. Um, and we are... Uh, CockerConsulting.com, our contact information's there. We have a, I have an article of the week. I have about 6,000 subscribers, and every Friday they get a video and a, a, an article from me um, and just uh, food for thought. I've been doing that since 1999 with my management team, and I've, I've not oh missed gosh. a week um, for, in that wow. period. And now I do it for anyone who wants to sign up uh, for yeah. free. Heck yeah. And, um, and then my book, um, How's a Culture in Your Kingdom, and then her book, um, yeah. uh, manage like a mother so that's that's what we got going on and we we love we love talking to people i'm reading your book it's awesome um can we be friends would you come back and and be part of this here podcast once again it was it's just it was awesome i will come back anytime anytime you call me and i will uh okay and um i think next time you want to get my wife on also because if you like me you're gonna love her my wife will might be on also so <laughs> she's my better awesome. half, but that would be i would love to yeah and and oh my goodness we should okay barry you, that's your that's your jam look at dana okay i mean sorry okay, okay. but no that would be <laughs> right. awesome that'd be Barry's so much on fun it. it'd be yeah. so much fun good no cool. that i get i get i get uh pumped up when we have these conversations this is a lot of fun and good. i just love sharing it and talking about it because i it's 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 wired into me Yes. I'm this sorry. is this has been great and and really great questions. I'll tell you. It's um I think uh, you did uh you did right by your listeners to really dig in. So, well done. Yeah. We're well, on. Thank you for 
at sharing everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Barry, right. take us out. So we want to thank you all for tuning into another episode. As always, please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And please, please, please tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can find us on social media such as Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Sharing the Magic Pod. And as always, until next time, keep sharing the magic.